Now, I love an adventure. Anybody agree with me? Yes, an adventure. I mean, you don't live in Colorado unless you love adventures. When I was, when I was younger, I was always off on an adventure. My parents would send me to camp, and oftentimes during camp, you could decide which adventure you would want to go on, whether whitewater rafting or tubing down a river or rappelling down a cliff. So I was 10 years old, and I had the, my first opportunity to sign up. I was old enough, finally, to go rappelling down a cliff. I mean, I've seen the A-team, I've seen them rappelling down cliffs, and I'm thinking, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to show off my rappelling skills that I've never used before. <laughs> and so we get on the bus, me and my new friends, and we're driving. Well, I'm not driving. We're, we're riding along to the, to the trail, and they drop us off, and we're walking the trail, and we're all bragging about how good we're going to be at rappelling. We walk down the trail to a place called Chickie's Rock. It's a cliff right along the Susquehanna Valley or Susquehanna River. It's beautiful, unless you're repelling. <laughs> so we, we approach the cliff and I start to wonder, am I really going to do this? I get closer to the ledge I have my, my harness on and I'm, I'm looking at these leaders and I'm looking over the cliff and now instead of 90 feet high, somehow it's become 300,000 feet high. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh-uh. But I, I look around, I see all my buddies that I've been bragging to. So I got, I, it's, it's go time. So they strap me up. And you, I mean, if you've ever done this, you know that the moment of truth is when you're your heels are over the edge, and it's time. Am I going to trust this rope? And so I do. I trust the rope, and I start going down. I go down maybe 10, 20 feet, and I get to a ledge, and I just freeze. Because I could stand on the ledge, and there was this clump of grass that was like right at eye's length. So I grabbed onto the clump of grass, I'm standing precariously on these three-inch ledge, one arm on the rope, and that's as far as I was going to go that day. Okay? You ever been there? Maybe not hanging off a cliff, but you ever been there when you have one hand hanging and clinging to a clump of grass? That it, you know, the roots are no longer than your fingernail. You know it's really not going to hold you. It's not going to satisfy your needs. And then you have this rope, which, by the way, I found out later, can hold 2,500 pounds. And I'm hanging on to a piece of grass. 2,500 pounds, that's the weight of a full-grown Holstein cow. And I wasn't willing to trust my weight to it. Have you been there? I mean, the Father, Yahweh, says to us, he will never leave or forsake us. He's made the universe. He holds everything in his hand. Nothing is outside of his grasp. And he holds you. He looks at you and he loves what he sees. And yet, we grasp onto a clump of grass. What's your clump of, clump of grass? It's kind of hard to say clump of grass. What's your clump of grass? 
You see, in this passage here, Jesus is trying to remind them, you can trust the rope. You, if you seek first the kingdom of God, you will find that the kingdom is of greater value than these clumps you're holding on to. It doesn't say seek mostly. It, it means this laser focus that we ought to have on the kingdom. Satan knows that this is, this is our weak spot. He wants us to misplace our trust, that we have divided attention. You know, when you have one eye on Jesus and one eye on something else, that's called double vision. If you try to cross your eyes, you can see nothing when you try to look at two things. That's oftentimes the way we go about life, isn't it? Jesus' intent here is to focus all their energy on the kingdom. But what happens when we divert our attention off of the king and off of the kingdom and we start looking to clumps of grass to hold us? What happens is worry. If I never reached that ledge, if I never grabbed onto that grass, I would have continued to just be able to trust in the rope because that's the only thing that had me. and That was the only thing that would have continued to have me. But those things diverted my attention. And worry started. Now what does worry do? We all know that worry is, is worthless. It's, it can do nothing. Verse 27, we read here, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus is saying worry amounts for nothing. It can do nothing. I mean, how many of you spent hours of your night sometime this past week or month worrying. And then you woke up in the next day and you said, man, that was a lot of productive worry time that I spent. I'm glad I was able to do that last night. I mean, you know, you wake up and you're thinking, what a waste of sleep time to spend worrying. We know that it's, it's worthless. It doesn't add an hour to our lives. Yet doctors, health specialists, they'll even tell you that to worry actually decreases your lifespan. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? It's because we, we are easily diverted with our attention. And we think other things will satisfy. And when our attention is diverted, there's three things that happens in our hearts. Here are the three. I have to provide for myself, I have to prove myself, and I have to protect myself. When I stop looking at the kingdom, these are the three things that happen in our hearts. So three encouragements that Jesus has for us today are these. Main point one, God gives me what I need. There's two places that our treasures can be. Either they can be here on earth or they can be in heaven. Let's go back to that diagnostic question. What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time worrying about? What do you spend all of your time dreaming about? Are they earthly things? Like, I wish I had a, a higher paying job. I, I hope I don't lose my job. 
Maybe it's health related. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe, maybe they're not doing very well right now. There's plenty of things that we can worry about. But, or are they, are they heavenly concerns? Are they of eternity? See, the kingdom is eternal, so why not focus our attention on that? Oftentimes I think because we think, well, that won't help me today, right? I mean, honestly, we oftentimes think, why focus on the kingdom, which is in eternity, when that will not help me now? That is another lie straight from the pit of hell. See, we look at, we open a magazine, you know, and the advertisements tell us, food will satisfy us. Drink will satisfy us. A new home. Clothes. All these things will satisfy. But Christian brothers and sisters, material prosperity is not the ultimate mark of God's blessing. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It is a blessing that God gives us. But it is not the ultimate mark of God's blessing. Jesus here explains that the marks of God's blessing, if you were to flip back a couple of pages earlier in the sermon, the marks of God's blessing are the Beatitudes. Poverty of spirit. Mourning over our sin. Persecution for the sake of righteousness. These are the marks of God's blessing. See, real spiritual blessing isn't marked by the gathering of wealth. Gathering of earthly blessings. The mark of God's blessing is being freed from the need of those things. Hear it again. The marks of God's blessing is not physical wealth. But it is being freed from the need of those things to make us whole. See, look at verse 25. The first question here. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not food more, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying here that, that life is made up more than those things that keep it going. And then he compares us to, to birds and grass, and he says that your Father in heaven feeds them, and so he'll certainly feed you. See, the point here is not what God will provide. The point here is not that Jesus is saying, you will be provided for what those things will be. The point here is who will provide them. God gives me what I need. And we've doubted that, haven't we? As Christians, it's so easy to doubt that and think that it's up to me to provide for myself. That's been going on since, since Adam and Eve. The sin necessarily wasn't that Adam and Eve ate of a fruit of a tree. The sin was that they doubted that their father had their best interests in mind. And that that lie has been in the 
core of our hearts ever since. Does God have my best interest at heart? I'm not so sure I can really put all my weight on that rope. And here Jesus is saying you can and you must. See, when I was, before I moved here, I lived in Miami, Florida. And in Miami, we have two seasons. Summer, which lasts all year, and then a hurricane season. Okay? Now, in the most of America, we talk about time as before 9-11 and after 9-11. In Florida, though, they speak of before Andrew and after Andrew. Hurricanes are a big deal down there. And when a newscaster shows up and says, a, a hurricane is coming your way, you take notice. It's not just a blip on the bottom of the screen. It is all-encompassing if there's a hurricane coming your way. Now, I lived through two uh, level one hurricanes, which aren't the biggies, but they're scary. And when there's one coming your way, you, you do some things. You batten up the hatches, you board up the windows, you make sure everything is secure. You spend days preparing, getting food, getting gas, making sure that your generator is ready and, and able to go when you need it. And then comes the few hours beforehand when there's nothing left to do. And so you worry and maybe pray. Right? Isn't that how we, do, how we experience life? We know something's coming our way, so we do everything we can to mitigate the problem. And then when there's nothing left to do, we worry. And then maybe we pray. Right? What is the first thing that we as Christians ought to do when tragedy, when strategy hit, tragedy hits, let's pray. Our Father has everything planned out. He will not leave us or forsake us. He longs to wrap us in his arms and take care of us. Now here, Jesus isn't saying that you don't have to, you, have a, you can have a careless life. You don't have to worry about anything at all. There's nothing that's going to be, a, nothing bad is going to happen. No, he's saying that, that your Father in heaven cares. And he has you in his grip. Now we do this with all kinds of things. If our grades are going south, we study harder. If our, if our boss isn't happy with us, we work harder. If... Uh, our marriage isn't going well, we try harder. I mean, there's so many things that we do in this life and, and it's because we depend on ourselves. But here, Jesus is saying, God provides for you. Is that how we live our lives? Or am I assuming at every moment and every turn that I have to take care of myself? We worry when things are out of our control. When we can do nothing else, we worry and maybe we pray. I, I want to tell you that perhaps the best place for a Christian to be 
is that place where they have nowhere else to turn. Those few hours before the hurricane hits, that's probably the best place a Christian can be because he's exhausted his own ability and now all he has is the Father in heaven. I've been there a few times in my life. It's scary to be in that place where I can do nothing. But I tell you, those are my favorite times of all my life. Because it's in those times that I have felt more close with my Father in heaven than in any other time in my life. When I have nowhere else to turn. So point two, God not only provides for me, he also gives me my value. So we see here there's some contrasts in verse 26 and then 28 and 30. Through 30, uh, look at the birds. I'll read it for us. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then in verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, the first contrast here is one of there's birds. God is going to take care of them. Certainly, being of more value, God will take care of you. Right? It's, it's an obvious contrast. Then we see grass. If God is going to clothe the grass of the fields with these flowers, this beauty that you can see all around you, certainly... If he cares for grass and birds, he's going to care for you. So we have that contrast, but that's not the only contrast. There's a second contrast. You see, the relationship that birds and grass have to God is that they are called God. I mean, birds call God God. God provides for birds and grass. His title has changed when he's referring to his relationship with us. Your father provides for you. God provides for birds and grass, and yet your father provides for you. So we have not only this, this lesser to greater contrast, but we have this relationship that's lesser to greater. So God is not only our king, He's not only our creator. He's not only the one who provides for us, but he calls himself our father. Now, side note here, as I was studying this, I was thinking, boy, if the birds and the grass don't have to do anything, they'll be taken care of. Maybe that's how life should be for us. So I don't have to do anything, right? Okay, that's wrong. And that's not the point that Jesus is bringing across. You see, birds are always busy, right? They're always doing things. They're using their God-given beaks and, and talons and, and instincts to, to take care of themselves. But those are God-given. God gives them those things. Not only that, but he gives them the worms that come out of the ground. I mean, God is providing for those birds. They're busy. 
but God provides for them. You never see a bird worrying. And I certainly don't think that grass worries. I mean, in Proverbs 6, we're talking... We read about financial planning. We're to financially plan for our future. We're, we're to pre- prepare. Proverbs 31 re- tells us about that. And then providing for our families, parents. We have to do that. 1 Timothy 5.8. We even read about saving for our children's future in 2 Corinthians 12.14. So please don't hear from this passage and walk away. Hey, I don't have to do anything. God's going to take care of me. No, you don't have to worry. God will take care of everything. So then the, the third point that we're going to bring up today is God gives himself. He starts to speak about, oh, you of little faith, right? Oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say, oh, you of no faith. Okay, now notice, these are his beloved brothers and sisters, the father's beloved children. These are people who are his. But he's saying you have a little faith. What does little faith mean? Little faith is saying, I believe in Jesus for my eternal salvation, but I don't really believe him for today. I believe in Jesus for my for what will happen after I die, but I don't know that I believe in Jesus for what he says about what will happen until I die. See, little faith is confined to one sphere of our lives only. But true faith, true faith is that which extends to the whole of life, both this life here and that which is to come. God's providing love for you is here today, not just in the future. See, the the Sermon on the Mount starts with with this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. No. It says, for theirs is the kingdom. So there's a very real sense in which the kingdom is now. Not something that is in the future. Jesus is saying here, you can trust God now in everything. God's reign is now. His love is now. His providing care for you is now. Paul in Ephesians, and then, and then we read in 1 John, the main point of these writers in, in some of these passages is this. I just want you to know the love of the Father because that changes everything. If you just know the love of the Father, your lives today will be transformed. It will free you in ways that you can never, ever imagine. Hebrews 11, we read of heroes of the faith, not heroes of the actions. These guys did horrible things. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and the list goes on. What sets them apart is that they believed in their father's care for them. So when trouble came their way, They didn't always do this, but they had the ability to smile because they, at that time, had a father in heaven who reminded them, probably more than any other thing that was said in the Bible, he says to them, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. 
And he's saying that to us today. See, worry and anxiety is a sign that you don't really know the Father who is, who is, right, at, who is right here with you now. Worrying just shows that you don't truly know him. Now, that's not, just, that's not to make you feel guilty or shameful. What that is is to say the, the God that you think you know, he is so much better. That's an encouragement to my heart. And the more that you know his love for you today, the less worry you will have today. There's a, there's a scene in one of the Hobbit films where Smaug has, has been released, he's been awoken, and he is coming down towards Lake Town. And there's a man there whose name is Bard, and Bard is a bowman. And his, uh, his part in this whole movie is to slay the dragon. And he's up on a watchtower, and the, and the dragon is coming in, and he's run out of arrows. So his son, unbeknownst to him, brings the black arrow, one of his family heirlooms. It's bigger and stronger than any arrow that he's had up until now. And he brings it up the watchtower, and he says, Dad, I have the black arrow. And so the dragon is coming in, and these are the things that are being being said from the dragon. Who are you to stand against me? Your life is a pity. You are forsaken. No help will come. And so the bowman, Bard, gets the bow, which is broken. So he picks, he sticks it on both sides of the watchtower walls and he tells his son to stand in front of him as he, as he readies the arrow that's coming towards the, towards the dragon that's coming at him. And when all these things are being said and the fire is, is coming out of his mouth, scary scene, the son wants to look back. But the father, Bard, says no. You look at me. You just look at me. So he lets go the arrow and it flies and hits the, hits the dragon in his weak spot. But have you been in those situations? You've heard the whispers. What is your life? You're a pity. No one is coming to help you. You are forsaken. See, Jesus here with his disciples and in, in this room now with us, he's saying to us, just look at me. Just put your eyes on me. See, God doesn't only provide for us and give us value, but he gives us himself. And we realize that he is the kingdom. It's not the physical stuff that we may get one day or, or now. The kingdom that we will get is the king himself. We read in, in the Old Testament that the angels can't even look at the Father, can't even look at Yahweh, and yet one day 
We will be brought so close that we will be in this communal relationship with the triune God that the angels can't even look upon. That is the kingdom. That is what we will one day have, and not only one day, but we have right now. To really grow in grace is to grow into the reality that this is true for us every day and every moment of our lives right now. You don't need earthly pleasures to fulfill you. Only God can do that. We find freedom from the pull of earthly treasures when we set our eyes on him. When we set our eyes on the king himself who calls us his father. Do you remember there I was on that ledge hanging onto that clump of grass? I heard from below all the leaders and kids who were watching me for the, ne- for the last 30 minutes and I hear up above me, just trust the rope. Easy for you to say. And so little by little, I started to edge my way back again and I realized that this thing could hold a Holstein cow and it is gonna hold me. And I made it to the bottom. Hands trembling, body quivering. And you know what I wanted to do next? I wanted to go up for another. That's what it's like to be freed by the Father's love. He's with you. He will never leave or forsake you. And life with him is greater than life being trapped by whatever it is that you worry about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you will never leave or forsake us, that your grace is absolutely here for us, not only in the future, but it is here for us now. And Father, forgive us for our worry. We know that we will never be freed of it until the day you come back. But until that day, Father, I pray that you would have ever before us the kingdom that is ours now and forever. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.